sense of the quality of leadership, you have good leaders and bad leaders in the course they pursue. But actually, they are good leaders with a, with a terrible cause. Because if you can lead an entire Nazi Germany against the nations of the world, you're a great leader. Mm. But with a terrible cause. Mm. But you can have good leaders and bad leaders in terms of skill, yeah. ability. People who have leadership uh, but don't know how to take the people from a place to place. So, if I don't remember correctly, but John Maxwell says like this, he says there are different levels of leadership. So the moment somebody is put into a place of leadership, like for example, if I, if I have been brought into a position of being a pastor for your church, the kind of leadership I have is positional leadership. And everyone goes through different stages of leadership. So the first stage of leadership is like positional leadership. And that's when you plant a church, you have positional leadership. You get into a company, you have positional leadership. Uh, if you're a, a politician, you're surely not um, at positional leadership back where you, where you are. But if you're sent to a new location, you're at positional leadership. After this positional leadership, the next thing that you get into is called permission leadership. Where after positional leadership, now first they follow you because you have that, that title. Then you go into a next level of leadership called permission leadership, which is that they follow you because now people are seeing the influence you carry. Now they want to, they give you permission to lead them. They will say they've been at your church for a while, you've been preaching, they listen to your word, they're excited. They say, hey, this, 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 this is pretty good, this is pretty neat stuff. The third level of leadership is called production level leadership, right? Which means they're not only giving you permission, they are, uh, they, are, they are now following you because of uh, your success story. Because of your success story. You, you grew something from some, something somewhere. You grew a company of 10 people to 100 or 1,000 people. Uh, you, you won the national election. So it's production level. You've got results. Then you have um, a fourth level of leadership. Um, can't off, offhand remember the title. And finally, you come to a fifth level of leadership. It's called legacy leadership, where you have done years of leading people. You have created storyline. You've, you've become what they would call a legend. So in the simplest definition of leadership, leadership is uh, influence. Influence, the ability to take people and help them, equip them, take them, help them, equip them to get from point A to point B, whatever the vision is. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, a leader, uh, as much as he influences others, what also helps him to grow is how much he's being influenced, Absolutely. right? How much he is being led as well. So if I have to ask you this question, how important is, like, because many of us here are leaders. So how important is it for leaders to learn and grow and what are the various ways in which they can learn and grow and uh, continue to go to the next level. Sometimes when people are receiving from us, we may come to a place where we feel like, okay, I know everything and, you know, and that I don't need to learn from anybody else or I don't need to learn from anywhere else. 
and uh, especially as pastors this happens a lot because uh, we are in church and we are preaching every sunday and and uh, and then we feel that you know that's it i know everything and i don't need to learn from anybody else so if i have to ask you as a leader what are some of the sources that you would probably learn from from your personal experience what are the things that you learn from and uh, what are the sources that you receive to grow as a leader i think uh, i in ter- speaking in terms of, of pastoring or leadership in the church i think that um, you can easily fall into a place of stagnancy or a place of uh, what my spiritual father calls death where you have that knowledge and there comes a point where the knowledge is just knowledge right and where life from the knowledge seems to be missing you know i think that's why we we talk about the holy spirit as a river that it's continuously flowing you know water comes at one point and then it goes past you that water is not coming back again everything that's coming after it is something new right so i think there has to be a point where you're you're if if we're talking about pastoring there has to be a point where you're tapping into revelations that are still founded in scripture that are confirmed by scripture that are not outside of scripture outside of theology that are not personal but if you're tapping into the river of revelations i don't see why you should ever fall into stagnancy but let's say let's say it for whatever reason you do fall into stagnancy why should that be an impediment to you having growth why that why should that be an impediment to to you still expanding on on who you are on on how you're learning i mean i think that in churches many times we think that um growth is just knowing about the bible why shouldn't you expand on how you speak why shouldn't you expand on for instance speaking in conferences why shouldn't you expand on how you communicate to the general public not just to people who grew up in church why shouldn't you expand on you know speaking to politicians or or what not there's always an area of of growth that we can tap into and i think that one of the problems is that when people don't have vision when they don't have an end goal in sight or when they feel i've arrived i think then that's why death comes that's why stagnancy comes that's why the lack of growth comes is because you don't have anything to aim for right like we were talking like doctor was saying about about hitler how is it that he was able to inspire the nation to go after the jewish people how was he able to do that right well he he gave a vision he gave a goal he inspired well if you don't have a vision you don't have a goal you have nothing to inspire you if you don't have that inspiration you're not going to want to run after it right so if you can have that so if you don't have that if you're in that place of dullness definitely look do you have a goal do you have a vision do you have a something that you're chasing after so that helps you to you know find sources where you can receive inspiration and revelations to reach there that's definitely a big part of it knowing also what stream you're part of right if if i know i'm part of a specific stream of revelation and of knowledge and of information i'm not going to go outside of it because it's not going to supply who i am it's not going to supply my spiritual dna it's not going to supply my spiritual growth right i it's like for instance if, if i'm a hamburger i'm not going to go feed myself italian food right i'm going to stick with the lettuce and the tomatoes and the beef and the this and the that right because that's my stream that's who i am it's it's the same thing if we are not growing we are dying 
till a tree dies it keeps growing so growth is a growth is not forced it's it's a natural if you have a right environment if you're feeding it well it'll grow so one of the first things we must understand is ask people even the day we stopped we stopped growing further up we started growing out we're still growing um so you need to recognize to add on to what pastor was saying you need to recognize where you are in life and i think there are seasons of our life and in seasons we need to understand what do i need to add value to in that season of my life the first thing he talked about was vision every leader needs vision without vision will perish but so many people have vision and are stunted because to their vision they haven't added skill okay let's use the example or that he said about you know putting together an italian or a hamburger if i'm a chef and i have a vision to have a uh, what's a michelin star chain of restaurants around the world if that's my vision if i the first thing i want to do that at least i got a vision in place i need to ask the question how is this going to happen and a lot of people depending on what church background we come from if you come from a spiritual movement we will say it's by the holy ghost and by the holy ghost alone and all of that and i came from a, a spiritual movement and so i went down that road for a season of my life and i'm i still believe in the river of god i still believe in the anointing but i realized that just being filled with the holy ghost was not going to grow the church we needed uh, we needed skill what kind of skill we needed people with skill on media we needed people we needed administrative skill uh, we needed uh, financial skills how to put all of this together because you can be a great preacher and land up in jail for doing the accounts messing the accounts up so whatever you're growing in you understand that along with vision you need skill all right and under the skill specifically skill you need skill for your specific area of strength for example um i may be a great preacher but if i don't know how to drive a car i will depend on somebody to drive me around all the time but if i can add to my anointing if i can add that i'll talk a lot more about that in the next session i'm going to bring in 20 things that a leader is going to add into his life right so i'm actually just speaking a little out of my message now uh but a leader also needs to add uh not just skill he needs uh which is part of the skill but he needs to add uh a, a leadership ability which can be learned it's also a skill but it can be learned what do you do about people that uh, that what if you don't have a skill for example uh through the years i've been dyslexic when it comes to spellings i'm not good at spellings in my fourth grade my teacher asked me to write my own dictionary uh i i didn't take her seriously but i'm still attempting new words every day with my own spelling as in i'm still bad at spellings so if i'm bad at spelling uh i need to staff my weakness the areas because i can't be good at everything in the world so as a leader i need to know how to staff my weakness what are the areas that i'm good at and what are some of the areas i can improve and what are some of the areas i can bring people alongside to take care of it so i can just focus on some of the strengths god has given me
right? So we're going to add skill to our life, add value to many of our things. That's adding human resources. Another skill that you might want to add is learning how to manage people. People are very different. And as you go down the years, you're a politician, you're a musician, you're a team leader, you're a pastor, you have to learn to add, uh, learn how to handle people. People are different. In fact, my leadership mentor, Dr. Sam Chan, he says like this, he says to live up above with the people you love is glory. But to live down below with the people you know is quite another story. So, so leading people, we have to learn how to lead different personalities, uh, how to lead the sanguines and how to lead the cholerics and the phlegmatics and the all different kinds of personality. You've got to read people before you lead people. So how do you learn all this? Through the years you add. Uh, you add, then you add information. You read books. Uh, and you talk to people in your zone of influence. For example, when our, our church was 50 people, I wanted to speak to people that were pastoring 100 or 200 people. Because that's not the time for me to connect to someone leading 10,000. Because they lead on another level. You talk to the guys of the 10,000, they're on another level. You don't even understand their language. You haven't done their journey. So you need to talk to somebody who's at the 200. Or you need to talk to somebody at a level of influence, business influence. If you have a 10-member company, you need to talk to a 50-staff or a 100-staff company. How do they do? How do they make decisions? How do they budget? How do they do all that? If you're leading a 200-member church, speak to a pastor that's leading a 500-member church and ask them, can you help me with this? Now, now this is uh, technically a problem when it comes to churches that follow the spiritual fathering model. Now, I'm known as a spiritual father to a lot of people. We have a lot of spiritual father models. And then the boundaries become a little unclear. And we're not clear, okay, spiritual father is here, so do I learn something else from someone else? or uh, what? Now, I have a spiritual father, but I went to a driving school to learn driving. All right? So there are, uh, or I go, to a, you know, I go to a culinary school to learn uh, that. So you have to understand, in all our lives, there are different kinds of people. There, we may have a a spiritual father or a local pastor but it is good for us to have mentors who are mentors mentors are not spiritual fathers even though spiritual fathers do mentor mentors are basically coaches that train you in a specific area for example you're studying in class you have a mentor in math or if you'll understand the language you have a mentor or a coach in in lawn tennis or you have a coach in badminton but you come back home to your father. Yeah. You may not be good at that skill, but you can learn that skill from others, but you learn life from the father. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I, as I say this, I'm treading very carefully because I know I, I, as a spiritual father, and I heard, I, I, I've, I've written a book on spiritual fathering, not released it yet, but there's a lot of confusions, especially if you come from Africa. We've been there, we minister in some parts of Africa. We have seen tremendous excesses in spiritual fathering uh, and all of that. And so, so it's a fine line because many places they don't allow you to read anything else. They don't allow you to talk to anyone else uh, saying that you must draw from one source. Now, I tell my son, I'm your father. Of course he draws from my source. But it does not mean that he's not free to listen to other sources. I teach him the original 
And then I ask him, my job is to raise you for life. Do you understand what I'm saying? My job is to raise you for life. My job is not to monitor you for the rest of your life, police you. Man, as a father, my job is, I want to raise my boy to be a world changer. And when he leaves home, I want him to carry what I carry. I was in, uh, in Boston two, few, three, four weeks ago, and I was preaching a message. And uh, I pulled out a few hundred dollars from my wallet, and, and I was showing an example to a pastor, to, uh, uh, with the pastor. And people were sitting there and listening to all of this. And after that, I put it back in the wallet. And uh, I was standing back. Someone walks by and looks at me and, and says, Pastor John, uh, I was interested in those few hundred dollars that you had in your wallet. Now, that will be quite, uh, you know, now we come from India. In India, <laughs> even if it's a bonafide, genuine beggar, you think 10 times before giving money to anybody. So I looked at this person, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, give it away. So I said, you sure, Lord? Okay. I just stood there and I said, hey, you know what? I want you to have it. So the person's now shocked. I said, I want you to have it. I pulled it out and I gave it to this person. I said, I want you to bless you. Standing there, another person comes. Now, please don't try this. This is strictly done by professionals, okay? <laughs> Another person comes by and says, Pastor John, uh, I was wondering about that example which you used the dollars for. I said, you want some? I pulled out some more. I gave it to the next person too. Now, why I did that is because the Indian community is used to, with a poverty mentality, to always believe we should receive from others. And I wanted to, I wanted to break that curse over our, our people and our community that we can go out into the nations, we will give into the nations, we will bless the nations. I did not know my son was watching this. He's 11 years old, he walks straight up to me, he looks at me, says, Dad, so what? He said, I saw that, and I want you to know. He's 11, he said, I want you to know, when I make tons of money, I'll be doing what you just did. So, so we got to add things into our life. You, you touched on something very important how managing people is uh, is very important in leadership because you don't lead machines or you don't lead equipments you lead people right so uh, and it's obvious that when we are trying to lead people there are people who are going to be hurt with you there are people who are going to have expectations that you're not able to meet and there are people who are going to demand things of you that you can't give them all the time you can't give them all the uh, time in the world, you can't give them all the all your resources, not because you don't want to, but because you, you know, put your own boundaries in place. But uh, so at that time, uh, you will, of course, end up sometimes losing relationships and being hurt. So my question is, how do we manage um, uh, our hearts from becoming numb as a leader when you when you keep getting hurt? It's it's, it's a very natural process to to just say, okay, I'm not going to get attached to anybody. I'm not going to love anybody. I'm not going to uh, get involved into people's life. Because it's ha happened to me because when with, during our church, there was a season where I was getting hurt repeatedly. And I said, I'm going to stay emotionally disconnected from everybody. Uh, so how do we, uh, and, and that actually stops us from actually 
empathizing with them and you know be really being the pastor so uh, i'm sure that many of us experience hurts and challenges so how do we stay in that place where we don't let those hurts get into our walk with god or our love for people pastor i was 19 years old when a pastor put a police case on me and tried to put me in jail not very far from here in a city of davangere 265 kilometers away then he bribed in the university and failed me for my microbiology exam during my medical training years and he tried to destroy our life someone came to me and told me all these pastors are rogues they cheats they crooks wounds in life define our destiny how we deal with it and you can decide that you're going to get offended and stay there for the rest of your life or you can decide that i want to have a deep encounter with god's love that leaves me so so soaked soaked in love that that encountering the river of being loved helps me love romans 55 says for god has poured his agape into our heart through the holy spirit i can tell you story after story after story after story after story my wife was carrying our second child 9 months in the womb 2 days to delivery when a man cursed us a pastor cursed us and said your children will pay a heavy price for this you just watch what's going to happen and said get out of the church i don't want to see your face anymore just leave just get out for 2 hours and 45 minutes grilled and my wife was 9 months she was ready to have the baby in his anger i listened to all of that i had two options to be bitter or to choose to be better and i've told myself i said you cannot be the victim of people's dysfunctional behavior yeah come on you can't just be, repeat that you That's cannot be the victims of people's dysfunctional behavior people are see the way i have learned to look at people today even if they are they are a mess they hurt me a lot i first look at them as hurting people jesus said he looked at the crowds and he saw that there were sheep without a shepherd they were hurting whenever someone hurts you and they say nasty mean things about you you have to first step back position yourself into a place receiving love from god looking at them and saying these are hurting people when once you see they are hurting you're able to not take what they say very seriously number 1 uh number 2 now because they're hurting does not mean we have to draw boundaries we have to draw boundaries because they're hurting they cannot get into our zone of leadership and start dictating to the zone of leadership how things must be done so if you have to step them down you have to step them down if you have to wait you have to wait uh i am careful through the years today now in 29 years of leading i have i have learned to be careful to not 
title somebody so quickly. In fact, the problem about titling is that you call somebody, oh, he's my assistant pastor. That's like setting somebody in concrete, pastor so-and-so. How, how do you unpastor somebody once you pastor them? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, God does not take away the call of a pastor. Because the gift and the calling is irrevocable. So, I'm not asking how do you take their gift away. Their gift will remain. And they can stop their gift. But the question is, how do I unpastor this person from representing my leadership? Or representing my heart? Therefore, you never bring someone into leadership representing you unless they have proved that they carry your heart. For which, how do you do that, Pastor? Give them responsibility without title. Yeah? So you're, you're believing in them, you're entrusting them, but you're not calling them Pastor so and so. Let them do the work of ministry. And a, a safe title I have found is he's the one that takes care of the worship ministry. I don't even call them worship leaders. The reason I don't is because certain words in certain communities mean things. So I'm very careful what it means to this person. I don't call them pastor so and so, but I get them to do the work of a pastor. What is the work of a pastor? Equipping the saints, uh, taking care of care cells, teaching the word of God. I don't call them prophet so-and-so. Now, I've been around a while in the Christian ministry. My grace is to work with Christian leaders and pastors. I love pastors. I love leaders. I le love leaders in any shape and form because it's a very risky job to be a leader. When we became pastors, uh, we may have been spoken into, maybe poured into, but we were still never really ready. How many of you have been married? You're married, right? You know the day we got married? <laughs> we're glad we were married. But we probably got home and wondered, now what? <laughs> you know, when the baby came, we didn't, we didn't know what to do with this. Uh, then the second baby came, ah, oh, piece of cake. We know, been there, done that. It, it became easy. And leadership is like that. We learn, we grow. So I've learned reduce your expectations from people even when I encourage people I believe in people listen to this very very carefully I believe in people but I don't trust people listen to me carefully there is a difference between believing in somebody a lot of Christians mix up all these words they say don't you trust me my answer is not to them but in my heart my answer is no <laughs> But if you would ask me, don't you believe in me? My answer is yes. I believe in the worst offender. I believe in the biggest mess. And I believe they got a tremendous future. And I'm, I've had many, many pastors who've been in tremendous mess, who through the years have pulled out and, and years later have stood in front of me and said, Pastor, thank you for making a man out of me. And I believe in people. Now suppose I give you a prophecy. Man of God, thus saith the Lord, there is an anointing on you to be a, a pilot of, uh, of a, a 
you know, famous air airline. And so you say, hallelujah, and you shake a bit, you fall down, do all the charismatic jig and, and all of that. And, and the pastors, we are excited because you fall down, pick him up again, pick him up again. You know, we, we, we like all the charismatic jig. And through the years, and so now he steps out, and now he tells you, I'm going to fly a plane tomorrow to Dubai. How many of you want to get on that plane? <laughs> now, it, you wouldn't laugh so much if I had said, your pastor got a prophetic word from, a, from Reinhard Bonke, saying that he's going to be a pilot. Now look at the difference in the dimensions. And he's going to be a man who's going to fly a plane. And he comes tomorrow and he says, I feel an anointing right now in prayer to fly that plane and hallelujah there's a glory on me right now I'm gonna fly that plane and trust me our charismatic circles at least 20-30% would not want to offend him and you'd say I believe you pastor I'm on that plane with you but trust me I would never get on that plane the reason being the reason being even Jesus was not trusted without being tested Yeah. Even though he was a son, Hebrews, he learned obedience through suffering. And having made, being made, having learned obedience through suffering, even death on the cross, he was made a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Having, though he was a son, he learned obedience. Paul writes to Timothy, prove yourself to be a worthy servant of the gospel. So simply because we have a prophecy on our lives, you and me, don't think that people should trust us. We have to work hard, commit to that father of the house, learn from them, read books, spend time in prayer, grow in the anointing. When he says 6 o'clock, be there 5.55. Be committed, grow in it, and one day you will show that you're a man because you have proved faithful. Not only will he believe in you, but he would have trusted you with that. Yeah? Hi. Actually, my question is that leadership, we see the every time, like God has give the time to time, like see the Moses, God has. My question is a limitation, like God times. We see Jesus, 30 years Jesus waited the time. So for the leadership, is there any timeline or deadline we should wait? And uh, like, we see the every man of God, Joshua, Moses, or anybody like. So is there any, anything like, uh, like deadline or timeline to wait and the God and that is my question. Okay, okay. That's, that's great. So waiting for the right uh, timing of God and you know, the, the right season. To be in leadership. Uh, to probably function as that leader that you've been called to. For example, David was anointed, but he actually started functioning as a king much later. Yeah. So what do, what do we do in that process, in that waiting period, um, before your leadership actually finally manifests? You know, so. you know I, think, I think the doctor brought up a good point earlier when he says, you know, the Bible actually says, don't be quick to lay hands, right? And it's, it's for the church's protection and it's also for the person's protection, right? A lot of times we want to get into leadership so quickly. It almost seems glamorous to be involved in leadership and actually it's not, 
you know, um, leadership is more about serving than anything else. Um, people who get into it that don't have the heart to lead by serving often find themselves getting into big problems. Um, I know that my father, uh, my father's a pastor, and so I grew up in pastoral circles uh, most of my life. And I heard him say many times that ha if I could take back that decision of putting that person in leadership, I would take it back. If I could take back my decision of putting that person in leadership, I would take it back. And after a certain point, I started asking myself, why is he always saying this? How come he's not learning from his mistake? You know, and I think that many times we put people in leadership to fill a position instead of because there's a calling and the Lord has spoken to us saying the time is right. Also, that time of where you feel called into leadership, but you're not going into leadership yet. What is that time for? It's called preparation. You don't need to get into leadership in order to fail to figure out that you shouldn't have done it that way. Right? You don't need to make a mistake to learn from it. Right? That's why they say people learn fast by watching somebody else make the mistake. If I can see you make a mistake, I can, present, I can prevent myself from falling into the hole. You know? Just because you fell into the hole doesn't mean I need to fall into the hole to realize there's a hole there. Right? So use that period of time to grow yourself. You realize that once you get into leadership, things begin to move a lot faster. They don't go slower. They go every time you step up, things go faster. So as they go faster, you need to be more aware. You need to be more in tune with the spirit. You need to be more knowledgeable of the word of theology, of how to counsel, what to say, what not to say. Man, if some of us can learn what not to say when talking to people, just that alone would save churches and divisions and splits. Man, pastor, if I, if I could take back some of the words that I have said in counseling to some people, you know, sometimes you just say something, you're like, I should not have said that. And then one week later, you're like, yep, I shouldn't have said that. That period of time, it's, it's time for you to grow. See, the doctor brought up something earlier. He said, when, when Paul was talking to Timothy, he says, it's my faithful son, right? My faithful son, meaning that he had already been proven. So he himself had gone through a period of testing before Paul sent him out to do ministry. So when he was sending him to the church, he says, I'm sending you my faithful son. The only reason why he can call him faithful son is because he had already been proven ahead of time. So before he could put him into a position of leadership saying, yes, go and take care of this church, teach them my ways and teach them this and teach them that, first I have to test this guy. So that period of where you're called into leadership and before you function in leadership is a period where your leader is looking at you and monitoring you. Because it's not so much about do you want it. It's a matter of when you get there, how are you going to walk? Because you don't get to that position and learn how to walk with the Lord. You walk with the Lord now, and then when you get to that position, hopefully you maintain it. Um, from the time we're born till the time we die, we are leaders. When I was in my first grade, I was still a leader because I was influencing people to throw chalks at others. I started throwing, the guys liked it, they all picked up the chalks and they started throwing. So all through your life, a leader is going to be a leader. The question you are asking is the difference between being anointed for something 
and being appointed into a specific ministry not everyone who is anointed for something is appointed at a given time i was anointed as a as a pastor as a preacher from the or god called me as a pastor or a preacher or a leader or an apostle or whatever from the from the time god had designed me on the drawing board and yet i was in a church here in davangere uh, for us not from here and for four and a half years i was there i was i could preach now if you ask people 20 years ago i was a preacher i can preach a storm up but my pastor in four and a half years never gave me one chance to preach in the church because he saw a gift but he looked at me and saw that i did not have the character to handle that gift so you can be anointed and feel that i can preach better than my pastor which what which which is what i thought that i could preach better than my pastor i can run the church better and because he was pastoring a church for many years and there were 15 people when i landed and in the next 4 years because some of us landed up there we became help ministries that the church grew from 15 to 200 300 400 it started growing and became multiple churches in different places uh, and uh, the other day he you know years went by uh, and today there are hundreds of churches some of the people we baptize have 2000 1500 you know hundreds of people but one day he told me he says john he looked at me and he was smiling and he saying john um You know the problem with you? I said, what is the problem, Pastor? So the problem with you is you are so gifted that if the Holy Ghost would be taken away today, your ministry will continue smoothly. You'll have no problems. Because some of us are so gifted that even without the Holy Ghost, we can keep it going. We can keep people falling. People will fall whether holy ghost is there or not they they feel something or the anointing flow now you know because i've been there long enough we've seen different sides of it people will fall the question he said he says john he said because you have such a golden tongue you don't need the holy spirit your your talent itself will keep you preaching and some knowledge of scripture he says but because i don't know to preach every morning i fall on my face I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord help me Lord. I really need you one more time. So I think to this question that you were asking, not everyone who's anointed is appointed for which there is a season. That season is the testing. And then sometimes we are appointed to some role but not another role. You may be appointed to be a Sunday school teacher. One day going to be an apostle to the nations. but now you're appointed to this role be faithful in that tomorrow you'll be appointed to be on the governing board be faithful in that but you may have the gift of being an apostle but where where you're appointed to be faithful to what you're appointed to um pastor steve you were saying um you were talking about correction when you were teaching and how uh, receiving correction the the posture of your heart and the posture of your reception that's very important now both of you are pastors and you've i'm sure you've had to correct people 
in the churches uh, that you have pastored in. And uh, so what would you say is the right posture to receive correction and uh, to give correction as well from the, for, because many of us are pastors here and leaders here to give correction and to receive correction. What's the right, uh, you know, heart and the right method to do it and what is the right posture to receive correction? Uh, because sometimes we can just, you know, have a very a quick response to saying, well, I'm not like that, or you're judging me wrong, or you're probably judging me. And all those uh, reactions can be the first responses that we have when somebody corrects us. Uh, so what do you think is, the, is a balanced approach? Where I like the way you said it. You said to give correction and to receive correction. Because it's two different things. When you speak about correction, there's a receiving end and there's a giving end. And I remember that I was, I was with somebody who was with their spiritual father recently. And I was listening to the words that their spiritual father spoke to them. And he said, remember son, the word of God says to not provoke your children to anger. So that means that as a father, in the way you correct, in the way you are with your children, you can provoke your own children. So I think the first part is not only on the children, but on the father. I think as fathers, it's our role, it's our responsibility to be discerning of our children. See, if I look at my, if I look at my three children that I have, we were talking about them, each one of them has a different character. Each one, anyone who's a parent here will know, each one of your children has a different character and each one has a different capacity to receive correction. And even the way they receive love is, is just different, right? So my oldest son, he's, he's, he has a very hard, character you, you can correct him and he takes it he takes it like a soldier he's unbelievable but at the same time he has a very soft heart but he's also well guarded on his heart my daughter on the other hand she's a little flower you say the smallest thing to her and it'll make her cry now all of that has has its own meaning as to their own characters and their the way their mind has been affected up in their upbringing in the early years of child and and all of that comes into play now when you're fathering them in the church. So when you go to give a correction, I need to know my son, my daughter. I need to know what was their background? What did they come from, right? What's going on in their life now? How do they think? I need to discern their spirit. How much can they receive? When I'm correcting them, when am I going too far? Just because what I'm saying is accurate and true doesn't mean it all has to be said right now. Can I give one correction now, give you 20 pieces of praise, and next week revisit the matter? Is, can I space it out depending on your capacity? Because each one of us has a different capacity. Some of us are ferocious learners. Some of us, some of us are, are, are desperate to grow, and some of us want to grow so much that we were hungry for correction. Some of us like to think we're desperate to grow so much. Some of us like to think we're so hungry that we can take correction, but then the smallest correction comes along. And we want to jump out the window and say, my pastor doesn't love me, he doesn't like me, he doesn't want me in the church, I never should have come here, I should have went to the other church down the street, I knew it. Right? It's, so receiving and giving correction are two totally different things. You see, receiving correction, it's a blessing. That's what I was covering earlier. Correction is a blessing. And it's all dependent on our mindset. When we have that, that slave mentality, we see correction as getting the rod, being beaten up. When you're a son, that correction says, hey, my father's making me better. 
My father is making me into a father one day. My father is training me. He's building me up. See, every time a father raises a son or a daughter, it's to send them out to do something. It's, it's so that the son or daughter can be an extension of them. That's why Timothy was sent out. He's an extension. He's a proven son, an extension of Paul. All right? So receiving correction, it needs to be embraced first. Like I was telling you guys, when I would go into my office, I would fall on my face before God and I would cry saying, God, send me my spiritual father to correct me because I knew I needed correction. At the same time, it wasn't the spiritual father's responsibility to come and correct me. But I knew that my heart needed to come to a point where I embraced the correction. I desired the correction. I knew what it would bring into my life. Now, when it would come, it didn't mean I didn't struggle with it. Because you still, you see, the Bible tells us to renew our mind. It doesn't say on one day your mind is changed. It says to renew it. That means every day you have to make a decision. Every day you're going to have to embrace different things that will perfect you and make you better in your growth. So receiving correction, you need to embrace it. That it is a blessing. It's a good thing. And when I get correction, it's because I am loved. Like I told you, if your father doesn't love you, he's not going to correct you. He'll leave you on your own. Say, one day you're going to be a Judas. Why should I waste my time with you? But if I know you're going to be a son, if I know you're a daughter, if I love you, I will pour into you and I will pour into you. And if what happens, I've gone too far and you're offended, I'll wait for you to turn around and come back. And then I can continue pouring into you. Those all become learning lessons. The reason any of us receive correction for somebody, the only reason we will, we will receive correction is if we feel safe with somebody. And uh, my ability to receive correction from my leaders is a direct expression of how safe I feel with God. If I'm not safe with God, I'm not going to be safe with my leaders. Sometimes my leaders make mistakes. And as a follower, I must accept that. He already shared on that, so I'm not going to dwell on it. I must accept that they're human. But I also accept that they're placed by the Lord. One of the things I've we've practiced in our home is that we never uh, punish or we never punish accidents. Accidents are never punished if something is done by mistake. We only deal with rebellion. So as a shepherd or a pastor of the church or a father of your home, even in parenting, never punish or never scold accidents uh, sometimes when my kids would do something they come and those the first thing they tell they know the rules in the house so they come papa that was an accident <laughs> and when I, and then i do what I, we first inquire from them ask them the details what happened what and if we see their heart is genuine it was an accident please do not scold them pastors don't get your frustration out on your flock they have enough frustrations of their own. And I'm telling you, as I shepherd pastors in different nations, I'm telling you, I'm often tempted to let my frustration out. What do I do when I'm frustrated with the flock or something like that? 
the first thing to do is pray through your anger don't take your anger out to the sheep and i've had spiritual sons that have betrayed us or people that we thought were sons and were not and people who walked away and all kinds of things the first thing i do is i lock up in prayer i if i i feel broken hearted i will cry in the presence of god i will not leave that room until i have found peace with god and then i want to hear from god father what is it that you have to say now i can think of incidences incidences that have caused confusion on national levels places where i've had to step down senior pastors of movements with churches in different nations and confusion out on the internet and you know i'm talking about things at that level it breaks your heart and you see their family breaking down and and the children go on drugs and i'm talking about messes or, or between uh, their under shepherds leave the ministry and you know i'm talking about that kind of stuff but the principles are the same you first lock up you pray through your anger let god pour his love bring you to peace deal with your frustration and then have a word from god and then go back and deal with the situation so i think before you correct people i think because i'm very interested in shepherds learning to shepherd people so pray through your anger then you initiate the contact next thing you do is you initiate the contact give them a chance ask them the right questions what happened what do you think what was the situation sometimes they didn't intend to hurt you it just so happened that they made a dumb mistake forgive sometimes they're planning it they're scheming it they've been doing it for a while put your foot down you have to discipline them there's a difference between punishment and discipline the punishment is given for from punishment is from the need for justice punishment is the it is the just retribution for mistakes made like stole you robbed the judge is going to punish you you're going to be one month in prison punishment is given for past mistakes discipline is given for correction of faulty character discipline's motivation is from love punishment's motivation is from justice discipline's motivation is from love discipline is given for future so we don't punish our sheep we leave punishment to god we discipline our sheep so only the sheep whose heart is positioning themselves to be whose to be corrected and built up do we really discipline so can we discipline a pastor who walked in sin yes do we punish a pastor who walked in sin no we leave that to the law enforcement mm. yeah do you understand what i'm saying right. so we love everybody yeah we pray through our anger mm. we initiate the contact we give them a chance to explain and after that we look at what is the is it what is the needed need of the hour is it punishment or is it discipline if it is discipline we never discipline accidents we only discipline rebellion we only discipline rebellion another thing you must do when you are correcting people learning to correct people 
All these are principles of, of parenting also actually. Because right. the shepherd's right. job is to parent. Yeah. Through parenting, one thing I learned, uh, I, I read one day from, what's that man's name? Shepherding your child's heart. Um, Ted Tripp. Ted, Ted Tripp, sorry. Ted Tripp. Ted Tripp. Yeah. Ted Tripp. He writes like this. Many, many parents and pastors spent time trying to bring about behavioral correction. Oh, you brought that, you played that keyboard before I asked you to. You must not, because I've gone to the different, na lot of nations around, I've seen Africa does it differently. Everybody is trembling on their way to the Managa. India does it differently. Um, the white man does it differently. The, the Caucasians, the, the, the Far East does it differently. And so we lead our churches differently, very, very differently. But I've learned through the years, when it comes to raising people, we will fail as pastors if all we are doing is behavioral correction. Because as long as I am there, they will behave in that way. After I'm gone, they will behave as they want. So my job is not behavioral correction as a pastor. My job is to shepherd their heart. So to shepherd their heart as a pastor, it's going to take time. So that's why he said we will pour into sons. What are we doing? We're drawing on their heart. Son, give me your heart, the Bible says. So shepherds don't attempt to spend so much time uh, this is not how to do it. That's not how to do it. Hey, you better listen to what I'm saying. Hey, you better be careful. Huh? Don't, you know, there are, don't do all that. You shepherd, draw on their heart. If they give you their heart, even when you're gone, like Paul said about Timothy, I have no one like my son Timothy. Why, when he's there, he, he will exactly represent how I will live and I will behave and I will do that. So when it comes to you correcting people, talk to their heart. Ask them, what was the real issue? What is that rebellion? What is that? What is the motive? What is the problem of your heart? What are you struggling with? No, pastor, you never listen to anything that I'm saying. I've been here five years and you never gave me a chance to get on stage only. Ah, okay. So what is that issue that you're struggling with? Uh, you'd like to come on stage. Nice. I understand. It's a good heart, but good intention. But what would you like to do by coming on stage? You've got to take time to build them up and pour into their life or bring them into training and teach them. And I think that's very, very key to understand. You've got to spend time with leaders and pouring into their heart, shepherding their heart as you give correction. Receiving correction, you have to encounter love. If you feel safe with God, I constantly tell myself when I get corrected by my leaders, I ask myself, how safe am I to receive what this man of God is saying? And what if he's wrong? If he's wrong, I can still trust him because I actually trust God that even if this man is making a wrong decision, that God will make all things work out for good for them that love God. So I'm not saying that this man of God is perfect. I'm saying my God is a good God yeah, and he can true. be trusted. So that is my fundamental foundations of why I can receive correction from people. Mm. I have been thrown out of three churches in my 29 years. <laughs> and I know what it means to have police cases on me. I've had pastors put police cases. It's come in the newspapers. We've had the cops come to arrest us. I've been, people have bribed in the university. Pastors have failed us in the exam. So you talk about pastors wronging me. 
you, I can tell you, we've been through hell. But I can tell you today to the glory of God. It didn't take one year in any of those cases for God to lift me up. In all those places. It didn't take one year. Age 34, God raised me up to be the vice president of a, a network of churches with hundreds of churches around the country and in other countries. Mm. Age 34, who makes somebody the vice president of a pastoral network age 34? Why did they do that? I worked hard on who I am turning out to become. Yeah. That was important for me. You work hard on who you are. God will take care of your destiny. Amen. Um, we had a discussion on a spiritual father and son. Uh, so we're going to switch back to that. Um, so, you know, at least in India and, and of course many, many, many places in Africa, there are there is a little bit of abuse when it comes to this spiritual father to spiritual son relationship and and uh, people walk up to others and say you're supposed to be my son you're you're supposed to serve me you're supposed to do this for me and it can go to uh, uh, so so the question that i have gotten is this i have had uh, i've had different people walk up to me and said say that i'm their spiritual son uh, so i'm praying for discernment to know where I really belong and who is my spiritual father. Uh, and second, can anyone make a mistake with calling someone a spiritual father or son? Like, if I, he's probably saying, if I call somebody as my spiritual father or somebody calls me, a, is, it, is it a mistake or could it just be intentional manipulation? Or what do you uh, think? I want both of your perspectives on the same. Um. I believe Paul says that you can have many teachers, but you have one father. Mm. That's the spiritual side. Mm. The natural or physical side to it is that, yes, we can make mistakes. Mm. We're human. Mm. Um, I can call somebody my father and realize that he is not, in fact, my spiritual father. Mm. Um, but to address the first part of what you had said about fathers going to the sons and say, you're supposed to be my spiritual son. That's where I find it's very dangerous ground because I believe it's for the son to locate the spiritual father. I don't think it's for the spiritual father to go and say, you're supposed to be my son. See, sonship is supposed to be a revelation. It's not supposed to be a command. It's by no one accepts Jesus by command, right? No one accepts God the Father as their father by command. It's by revelation. That's why he says you can't come to him unless drawn by the Spirit. So it's by revelation that, that that comes. So as a son, I have to have a revelation that you're my spiritual covering. I have to have a revelation that you're my spiritual father. Now, it could happen that a spiritual father does see in the Spirit and says, I know that this person is supposed to be my spiritual son. That's possible. But if that is the case, then as a spiritual son, I should have a revelation from the Spirit to confirm it. Yeah. Right? Because when push comes to shove, if I become your spiritual son, Pastor Preji, just because you say you're my spiritual father, one month into the relationship or one year into the relationship, you're going to say something that's going to get on my bad side and I'm going to get up and walk away. Why? Because that's the Judas, that's the rebellion in us, that's the way we are. But if I have a revelation and I believe you are my spiritual father, then it doesn't matter how you've corrected me. It doesn't matter how much you've stepped on my toes to sharpen me and to shape me and to shine me up and to cast light into my life into different areas. 
I'm going to stay rooted. Why? Because I have a revelation that God has put into my spirit that you are the man of God in my life that I'm supposed to draw from. You understand? Yeah. Now, like, like Dr. John was saying earlier, is that you, you can have other mentors that you can draw from. Yes, but you have one father. Like you're saying, you always go back to your father. We all have many mentors. I have many mentors in my life. But I have one spiritual father. And I always go back to my spiritual father. My spiritual father is well aware of this. Because, you know, like Dr. John was using in that example back before, there are many areas of skills that we still need to de be, be developed in, right? Especially if you know that you have a calling to be a, a speaker to the nations, an apostle to nations. Well, you're going to have to learn how to work with correction. You're going to have to learn how to counsel, how to speak with people, right? You're going to have to learn about different cultures and how they respond to speaking. How do they see the word of God? How do they see men of God? All that stuff. All that you need different people who have walked in those areas who can help you and shape you and sharpen you. How, the, how, how do you speak on, on platforms? What do you say? What do you not say? You know, because you're not just talking about a small church of 50 people. What about when you're speaking internationally? Then it's a different type of congregation, different type of people, different type of platform. What about when it's social media? What about when you're on the news? Right? These are all different levels and different platforms. So you need mentors in those areas. But you have one father that you always go back from. So if, if I don't have that revelation in my spirit, then I will never stay rooted. That's why your understanding that I'm his son can't come from him. It has to come from the spirit making it known to you. Um, I've seen spiritual fathers in Africa. I've seen spiritual fathers in India. I've seen spiritual fathers in Europe. I've seen spiritual fathers in Southeast Asia. But I can tell you, at least in the Asian side and the African side, you take a stone, open the window and throw it out of the window. You're bound to hit either an apostle or a prophet. <laughs> and most people even though they're not sons to anybody want to be fathers to many yes come on oh yes that's good so when such a person raises others he raises them with his orphan spirit training yeah because what he carries is an orphan spirit an orphan spirit wants to know only one thing, survival. How can I survive? How can my ministry survive? How can, I, how can my anointing survive? And how can I use everybody around me to become my son so that I can survive? This is the flip side of it. In Africa, the challenge is you come from a land where you have big chief. There are tribal chiefs. And so many people could not be chief in your tribe. But now you plant a church. And now you can be chief there. So you say, I'm your father. And you have to listen to me. Because we have these challenges, let me bring it down to this question. If you define something wrong, you will believe it wrong. Pastor, is it correct for me to say, that a woman has two hands, two legs, two eyes, two ears, nose, mouth, and hair. Is it correct to say so? It is, right? By that definition, then I must be a woman. <laughs> two hands, two legs, 
to ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. By that definition, I've become a woman. Am I a woman? Now, you can call me a woman in some part of the world where you define it like that. So in some part of the world where you define spiritual father as somebody who felt the anointing coming on him, looked at you and said, you're my daughter in the law. Now, you, so depends on who's defining it. For which I want you to go back to scripture. Can we define it from scripture? In the scripture, I'm going to burst a few bubbles here. Even in our Asian setting, Indian setting and a lot of that. Why I'm telling you this? Because I'm going to take a session, God willing, on how to interpret scripture. You know why many of us Pentecostals jump and shout a lot in our preaching? Have you ever thought about it? We think it's because the Holy Ghost came on them on the day of Pentecost. They were shaking and jumping. It's not because of that. The Pentecostal movement around the world jumps and shakes at a lot of it because we draw our roots from Azusa Street, California, which was an outpouring among, uh, what's his name, William Seymour and, and other black brothers and sisters. They did it the black way. God, it's got it's a fire coming upon me. And they carried it to the nations of the world. And the outpouring happened like that. So there is some amount of anointing and there is some amount of practice of among whom you grew. You grew under a father, you speak like your father. You grew under a movement, you speak like that movement. Why I'm saying this is, even spiritual fathering gets different flavors where it goes to different nations based on who you're growing under. For example, in Africa, I see certain church movements, if the person needs to change a job to another, to another company, he needs permission from his pastor. But in Europe, you don't do that. Or in England, America, you don't do that. In India, to some extent, you do that. But not so much. So it depends on where you bring. So let's define spiritual fathering clearly. Now give here a situation. I have... Now people say that who's a spiritual father? Help me. Can you just answer who's a spiritual father? Now we talk so much about spiritual fathering. Who's a spiritual father? What would be your different answers? Quickly, if you could just give that. One who? One who? Sorry? Leads a, oh, one who led you to the Lord. Okay, why would you say that? Because Corinthians says, Paul said, you have many teachers, but I've become a father to you because I have begotten you in the gospel. That's right, that's why you said that, correct? Any other definition of spiritual father? By that definition, I encountered Christ on my knees. I gave my life to Jesus. And in five minutes of my salvation, I led my first person to the Lord. I walked up to a friend and I said, you need to give your life to Jesus. And I led him to the Lord in five minutes. I was 16 years old and my fellow band members, I led him to the Lord. He's five minutes younger than me in the Lord. In the next one week's time, we led our entire band to the Lord. They are seven days younger than me in the Lord. My question is, who is their spiritual father? And I'm going to explain to you from scripture why a lot of classical opinions of spiritual fathering is not scriptural, they are cultural. And I fully believe in spiritual fathering. I love being a son to my spiritual father. I just lost my spiritual father January of this year. And I have been his son for many, many years. And I, I've seen how he has raised us. 
I believe in this thing, but I do not believe in unscriptural practices. There's a lot of culture mixed with. So my question is, if it is somebody who begot me in the gospel, then how did, then am I not the spiritual father of uh, the persons I led to the Lord in five minutes? My next question is, who was Timothy's spiritual father? Paul. Who led Timothy to the Lord? His mother and his grandmother. So then, how did Paul become his spiritual father? Yes? For me, a spiritual father is somebody I sit under authority. Somebody who sits under authority. Uh, which means, so can you give me a reference, scriptural backup for that? But Paul writes that I have that Apollos. Was Apollos under Paul's authority? No, Timothy was under Paul's authority. No, actually Apollos in scripture, Apollos, the ministry was under Paul's authority because he was being trained by Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila and Priscilla were co-workers along with Paul and Apollos was trained by that and then they sent Apollos to Corinth to equip and train so it was actually all under the Antioch mission if you look in the lineage Apollos was supposed to be a spiritual great-grandson of Paul so nowadays we have I went the other day to a place in one part of India where we have a lot of work happening I went there and after preaching they gave me a t-shirt Dr. John Joseph our spiritual grandson grandfather it was given to us by uh, a, spirit, a son in the faith. I looked at the t-shirt and my head is revolting because in my head it's telling me this is not scriptural. So let me explain to you what is spiritual fathering. Why I'm asking you these questions is because to understand fathering in the scriptures, you must see there is a way to interpret scripture. Why do we interpret fathering in scripture? In the scripture, there are different kinds of fathers. Number one, there's God the Father, Heavenly Father. Number two, in the scriptures, you have patriarchal fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were patriarchal fathers. Or, or dispensational fathers. Or patriarchal fathers. After, other than patriarchal fathers, third, you have dispensational fathers. Moses was a dispensational father. He brought in the law, Mosaic law. You have David, who was a dispensational father. He brought in the revelation of worship and many things like that. And then Jesus comes and he says, now this is not from that kingdom of Israel. This is the kingdom of heaven. So now our problem is, we don't ask the questions, who said it to him, whom, when was it said, what is said. And we mix up old covenant, new covenant, old, the, all of that. Another kind of father we have in, the, uh, in our times is earthly father. Even though I have a spiritual father, till my, till my dying day, I have an earthly father. Then we are not only an earthly father, I have a spiritual father who speaks into my spiritual life. Then I have a scripture I have to confront where Jesus says, please do not call anyone fathers. So now what do we do with that scripture? But it goes on to say, please don't call anyone teachers because you have one teacher. So if you can't call, call anybody father, then you can't call anybody teacher. So there are principles of scripture interpretation. I will give you the principles, God willing, tomorrow. But today, let's define this first. The only 
reference, if you may, correct me if I'm wrong, the only recorded reference for spiritual fathering in the Bible is in an apostolic context. Where Paul writes to Timothy, he's a son in the faith, Titus my son, Timothy my son, Epaphroditus my son, Onesimus my son, true son in the faith, Peter says, John Mark, John Mark became Peter's spiritual son. He talks about Mark, my son. So you have a lot of references of sons in the Bible. So the concept is there. And Peter said, Paul says, I have no one like my son, Timothy. Now listen to this part carefully. When Paul writes in Philippians 2, 20, 19, 20, I have no one like my son, Timothy. He says, because, he says, because. So he qualifies sonship. Because like a son with the father, he labored with me in the gospel. Okay? So if you look at the Bible, that's one context. Another context is Paul says, he's telling you have many teachers, but you have one father. Who is he answering that to? He's writing that to the Corinthian church movement. So here now, look at the def definition. There are two kinds of spiritual fathering. One kind is when you father a movement. And another kind is when you father an individual in the Bible. In fathering a movement, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. You have many people coming and teaching you, but I begot you in the gospel. He's not writing it to that an individual. He's writing that to the Corinthian church. He's saying, I begot this work. I birthed this work here. And because I begot, bought, taught, raised this work, I have become a father of this movement. That is the spiritual context for movement. Then father for an individual. Father for an individual, the only references that I know of in the Bible are when apostles are raising other apostles. In apostolic context, that's the only other way. Now, what about other men of God in the churches? Now, this is where it gets a little dicey. In the churches, when you talk about me raising up, I have a lot of people around the world who call me Papa John or John Apao. I have never asked anybody to call me John Apao. Somebody in Andhra Pradesh started it out. That spread like fire. Everyone, so many hundreds or thousands of people in the nation call me up. I've never asked them. Why? Because you don't become a son by calling somebody daddy. You become a son because you look like a chip of the old block. You have labored to become a son. You have spent time. You have sensed in your spirit. You believe this is where the Lord is planting me. You believe this is the man or woman God is pouring into my life. You go to northeast of India, so many spiritual fathers and sons. Now, in the Northeast, you ask, they say, oh, my spiritual mother, my spiritual mother, she only taught my spiritual mother. Who is that? When they were young Christians, she prayed for me, so she becomes spiritual mother. <laughs> so the definition is very, very different. So there are two kinds of spiritual fathering, fathering a movement and fathering an individual. Scripturally, fathering a movement, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he birthed the movement. But individually, he says, Paul, everyone he refers to, to Timothy, Onesimus, Titus, all these guys, all of them were apostolic leaders under him who he says, I have, in Philippians 2.9, he says, 
when he says, I have no one like my son Timothy, he's actually saying, I have others who are not like my son Timothy that I can send to you. I have no one like my son Timothy who, like a son with a father, labor in the gospel. Him, he, when I send him, it's like sending me. What is he saying? I have others, but they're not like my son Timothy, which means he had other preachers with him on his team. But he did not call the very preachers on his team. He didn't even call them his sons until they proved themselves as sons. If so, if so, someone doesn't become a son by joining my church. There are six different kinds of people in any church. The first kind of person that comes to a church is called what I call a seeker. He's not coming to church looking for a spiritual father. He's coming to church to find out whether Jesus is Lord, whether this stuff is for real, or he came because there was a girl he was interested in. That's why he came to church. He doesn't care the first thing about your spiritual fathering. So he came to church because his girlfriend called him and came. This girl, now he's an unbeliever, this girl fell in love with him, and she wants him saved, baptized, and become a pastor in the next few years so that she can marry him. So she's selfish, he's selfish. So they all come in like this. So the first group of people in any church is a group called seekers. A sec and, and please don't call them sons and daughters in the faith. Please. I'm pleading with you. The second group of people in any given church is a group called uh, believers. Now these seekers are not saved. Believers may or may not be born again. <laughs> Are you listening to me? What do they say? They say, I believe. But if they came from a non-Christian background, from another religious background, if they say, I believe in Jesus, and you see along with Jesus, they put pictures of other gods. Would you baptize them? You wouldn't. But if a Christian came to you and said, I'm a believer, you say, brother, you need to be baptized. But he's got mammon as God in his heart. He's got self as God in his heart. He goes, many things as God in his heart. But you baptize him. Why? Because he doesn't have pictures of other gods. Yeah. Do you see that? Sure. So we're very shallow when it comes to deciphering who's a son, who's a daughter. So people come to church, second group of believers. And I want you to know, James says, you say you believe, so does the devil. <laughs> That's In fact, right. I call for theological sake, I call Satan the believer's cousin brother. <laughs> because even he believes... In fact, he's a better believer, and the Bible says he believes and he trembles. Yeah. And our believers, they will say we believe, and then they're clubbing in the night. Yeah. So, so the second group is a believer. They may or may not be born again. Third group that comes to any church is a group called members. They take membership with your church, and they say, have you come to my church? It's amazing. Amazing worship, amazing all of that, amazing pastor. I want you to know their children may be coming to church. They may be a member of your church, but they may not be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So because when you're a member, you're simply saying that I identify with this earthly registration with the government that this organization has done. Fourth level of people in any church are called disciples. This is the minimum level heaven recognizes. God doesn't recognize anything unless you're a disciple. Heaven doesn't care if you're a member. A disciple is somebody who's saying, I'm going to walk so 
close behind my disciple that or my jesus that i'm going to carry the dust of my master when jesus was walking on israeli road the disciples walked so close that they would carry the dust of his feet a disciple is somebody who's walking so close jesus now that they begin to carry the dust of his feet this is what heaven recognizes fifth level of people in any church is a group called mature in christ mature in christ who are they they're being discipled they're growing in the lord they're committed they're serving in the church they love jesus they love the pastor they love the church they love all of that they're mature but the thing is few years ago before they moved to my city they were part of pastor steven's steve's church steven steven's church and he, they were spiritual sons to pastor steven and they were working with some oil company and now got transferred to my city and now they moved to my church but as a pastor especially in africa if you're from that church you're their son or daughter africa you got transferred from one man of god's church you were there that man of god's daughter and you got transferred to another city because you're working with the united nations or with the government and you go to another city you go to another church and that pastor says my daughter you are my true daughter in the faith the question is now whose daughter am i do you see problems that come because of unscriptural teaching we have whose daughter am i am i daughter of apostle so and so from this city or am i daughter of apostle so and so from this city and both are apostles and if i'm faithful in this church and i've grown up in leadership and i moved to this city and i'm faithful now in this city i will be moved up to leadership and i become a pastor and the pastor will say these are all my sons and daughters in the faith and you know some day these two apostles will meet i've had many 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 opportunities through the years where i have had people pastors from other cities come and say my daughter is in your church so i looked at them and i said praise god <laughs> when they said daughter they've been their spiritual daughter so then how did they become your spiritual daughter oh because i raised them in the lord but wait a minute i'm raising them in the lord now they were your daughter when they were in your church but they're my pastor now so now who's spiritual son or who's spiritual daughter is this can you see the conflict therefore please don't rush to call somebody your son and daughter there is a sixth level of people in the church who are they they disciple they mature in christ they're on that journey to become your son and daughter and now they're saying pastor apostle leader this is where i believe god has planted me you are the person i believe god has planted me over me as a father and my heart's dream is like a son with the father i want to labor in the gospel my spiritual father that sometimes your spiritual sons may have to leave your movement and i know in the african context that is not scriptural spiritual sons must never leave the movement they're part of this and i want you to know where i'm concerned i believe if god moves my son to greater things than what i've done i as a father i want to be proud of him i want to bless him and release him to do greater things another question is if the senior pastor of the church is my spiritual father what will the thousand strong church do when that spiritual father dies 
and then the assistant pastor becomes spiritual father but nobody is calling the assistant pastor daddy and what will all the sons of the spiritual father model my sons do when I die and my assistant pastor becomes the father then they'll say oh, wait a minute no 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 the father I, you must call me father because father is the head of the movement now the definition of fathering moved from who raised me who taught me who poured into my life it's moved to who's the head of the movement can you see the problems that are coming here therefore I'm a spiritual father to many hundreds of people I'm an apostolic leader of a movement I love spiritual fathering and I'm a man who has been under authority of a spiritual father and what do I do when my spiritual father dies who becomes my spiritual father do I look for another spiritual father a lot of practical questions therefore what I'm trying to say is this who's a spiritual father the Bible says that the shepherds of your churches the Bible says the elders among you treat them like a father which means treat them like a spiritual father treat them with respect they're a pastor they're a leader they do the job of a pastor and if in your heart you know that you're growing to run with what they carry you actually are growing to become a spiritual son and daughter in that house do you understand what I'm saying so don't quickly say that's my father and neither should us leaders quickly say those are my sons I have hundreds that come to me and say we want to be a spiritual son and I tell them it doesn't happen that way I'm sorry please grow with us please be part of the movement read our material grow into it and then spend time with us you grow into it and then one day and sometimes you don't grow into being my spiritual son you grow into being sons of the spiritual movement like the Corinthian church was sons of the spiritual movement now as I answer this I must tell you the Bible has not clearly dictated this is it so different movements will have different explanations if you ask me it feels easier for me to teach you that I taught every one of you you're my spiritual sons and then forget about doctrinal balance but because I work in the kingdom and because I have so many pastors in the city that work with us and we see their sons and daughters I have pastors children our, our church is notorious for having pastors kids transferred to our church and so we have fathers in the across the street and we have sons and daughters in our church and so and those pastors are earthly father, spiritual father, emotional father, physical father, every father. And then these guys come to our church and call Papa John. And I don't know where to hide. Because the, the doing church transfers to Papa John's church. And I tell them, guys, don't call me Papa John. Call me pastor. And we will grow into this stuff. Please don't rush into it and let's not make into some kind of a confusing monument and please don't rush and tell everybody call me papa call me papa please don't be foolish you will cause a lot of confusion in the house of God I know I have added confusion to your question <laughs> even no, though pastor. even though I have clarified some things I know there will be some confusion Follow, also. yes so pastor I don't know if you want to add on something from your experience well, or I know that you were speaking a lot of what we see in the New Testament 
But also in the Old Testament, you'll see, like, like you were saying, you see it primarily in the apostolic movement. Yes. That's where you see it coming from because you see the apostles in the, in the New Testament and how they function with the Father and the Son relationship. You also see it in the Old Testament. So like you were saying, this is something you see throughout the Bible, right? So this is why you have sometimes where a father will teach the sons and daughters that the way they function in ministry, the way they um, behave or respond in life, they take on the spirit, they take on the DNA of the father. When I say, when I say DNA, meaning the way he teaches or the way he speaks or the, you know, that type of thinking, which is why, like, like Dr. John was saying, you know, he tells them, you know, grow in our church first, grow, grow in the church, read the material, get it into you. Why? Because now you're, the way you think will begin to change yeah. to become the way I think. Yeah. And that's where you see Elisha, right? Where he followed Elijah. And Elijah keeps telling him, you stay here. And he says, no, 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 I'm coming with you. He says, you stay here. No, 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 I'm coming with you, right? It was a pursuit of relationship. Yes. And so he's pursuing him. And even to the Jordan, stay here. No, 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 I'm coming with you, right? And as he's going up, he looks up into heaven. What does he say? My father, my father. He's not talking to God. Yep. Study the word. Go look at what it actually means. He's talking to Elijah, his spiritual father. Yes. And he's saying, my father, my father. Now, you go look at Saul. Now, here's one that's a little bit touchy. Samuel. Sorry, Samuel. exactly. So Saul, he meets with Samuel. And Samuel says, well, you're going to go over here and you go over there and you go over there. And then the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush on you. And you're going to be a changed man. You're going to have a new heart. But the Bible then says he turns away from Samuel, walks away, and he already has a new heart. None of that has happened yet. So now he's walking and he begins to prophesy. The Spirit of the Lord, as he approaches the city, he walks with the prophets. Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He begins to prophesy. And everyone around there says, we know this. This is Saul. We know his father. His father's name is Kish. Next line says, who are their fathers? Who is their father? Wait a minute. You just said his father's Kish. But now you're asking me, who is his father? Why? Why are you asking that? Because you see Saul prophesying. So if he's prophesying, he must have a spiritual DNA from a prophet. Because we know him and we know his father. We know he didn't have this. It's not part of his DNA. So it has to come from a spiritual DNA. So the spiritual DNA of your spiritual father comes on you. So if your father is a prophet or if your father is an apostle, or however he functions, however, that ends up being transferred to you through relationship right. and in how you pursue and how much you are willing to change and pursue. How much you are willing to change yourself, change the way you think, change your heart, change your, your insights to become like your spiritual father. Because your spiritual father, like Paul said to Timothy, he's pointing you to Jesus. All the people, part of the movement, like, like Dr. John was saying, even in Corinth, they never met Jesus. Timothy, he never met Jesus. And Paul is telling them, he's going to teach you my ways. He didn't say he's going to teach you Jesus' ways. Paul told Timothy... That Paul told the church, he says, Timothy's coming. I'm sending him to you. He's going to teach you my ways. He didn't say he's teaching you God's ways. He didn't say he's teaching Jesus' ways. He says he's going to teach you my ways. But the thing is that, so the sons teach the father's ways, but the father's responsibility is to teach God's ways. You understand? So you take on the spiritual DNA of your spiritual covering. Your spiritual covering is supposed to, is supposed to clearly relate to you a spiritual covering of Jesus Christ. So even if you've never gone to that level in the spirit where they have gone, you end up going there through becoming like your spiritual covering. Are you guys blessed? Yes. Come on, let's give a big round of applause to Dr. John and Pastor Steve. Uh, thank you so much, Pastor.